We're, uh, we're continuing our series in First uh, John today, our summer series. One of the things you've noticed, and we talked a little bit about it last week, and you keep seeing it over and over, is that uh, John constantly uses family language um, for the church and for people who are in the church, Christians. Uh, are in Christ as we're brothers and sisters, we're children of God, and we'll even see it uh, in the text today. But that's actually become kind of uh, not popular or um, unpopular, especially in churches that are a little more uh, seeker-sensitive, because uh, the word family today is fraught in uh, the West, um, especially in the United States of America. A lot of people recognize the fact that some people, when they hear family, they're like, ah, I don't like that, because for a lot of people, family is... Um, brings up some things aren't good. Uh, a lot of people um, have gone through a divorce or they were in, a, in a, a childhood situation where there's abuse or violence or something like that. Um, and moreover, there's even parts of our culture, elements of our culture that are just anti-family in general, especially the uh, classic sort of, you know, mom, dad, and kids type of family because it's, um, it's seen as maybe inherently patriarchal or something like that. Whatever the case, family language has gone out of favor in, uh, in evangelical Christianity because it, some, it, it rubs people, some, some people the wrong way. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, as a, as a, as a Bible church, we we have we are. It is the it's the core, it's the crux of of how he thinks about what's happened through Christ. Um, and, and 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 we're going to see today that has some major implications. He takes the language of family extremely seriously, and we're going to see that that plays out to in in, in what we, what he thinks about's going to happen at the end. It plays out in a lot of different ways. And so let's take a look at the text together, and we're going to see uh, the family of God addressed. He even starts with little children, and that's technia in Greek. It's like little ones. He's like, and now little ones, little children, continue in union with him. Uh, if you are following along in the Pew Bible, or if you've got your um, digital Bible on your phone, uh, it probably says something like, uh, remain or abide in him. Uh, throughout this series, we've been translating uh, that type of language as union. Um, and if you want to go back and see why, uh, I think it was our first or second in the series kind of explains that. Uh, but it's for good reason. It's because uh, John thinks that what's happening in Christ is that we're being united to, so that when he appears, you have confidence and are not ashamed in front of him at his arrival. If you know that, that he, Jesus, is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been, listen to this, born from him. Born from him. Now just look at what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we've been called God's children. And we really are. Uh, if you're following in a different translation, um, that, that's an emphatic in Greek. It's like, and it's true. Like, it's unbelievable. It's crazy to think about this. But we really are. We really are God's kids. This is why the world does not know us. It didn't know him. John goes on. Dear friends, right now we are God's children, and what we will be hasn't yet been revealed. We do know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he really is. And to all who have this hope about him, purify themselves just as he is pure. Well, let's pick this apart, and I hope that you noticed at the very, like, as I tried to emphasize it in the reading, this is all family language, right? It's God's Father. We're little children. We're born from Christ, uh, right? And so for only $35, uh, you right now can go on your phones to Amazon.com. 
and purchase my first book, Labor of God, in which I discuss the notion that uh, we, we look at the, the, the cross as God's labor giving birth to spiritual children. Um, this is a, one of the ways that John conceives of how we've come into the family of God. And if you want to get it on Kindle, it's a dollar off. It's only $34 if you get it the digital version. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, the, we, John, John says we, we're born from Christ. Christ labors, uh, and, and wow, what kind of love must the Father have for that to have happened? Right? I mean, first, it's, it's outrageous that God should make us God's children. In the ancient world, um, the sons of God was reserved for like quasi-mythical characters like, you know, Hercules and people like that. Um, it was, it was inconceivable that God would share God. true. And, and the, the love that it took for, for God to do that in order to make us God's children, God didn't excuse himself. From the pain of generation. That's the labor of the cross, right? Uh, Bringing birth, uh, spiritual children to birth hurts. It costs Jesus' life. And this is why the world doesn't know us. It didn't know him. You might be wondering, what what is this a bit about? Uh, If you know that he, Jesus, or the Father, it's hard to know. John kind of switches back and forth. It's hard to know exactly who... John's referring to in the economic trinity, but if you know that, that Jesus is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born from him, has, has been uh, made God's child through uh, Christ's labor at the cross. Well, that's a very odd notion, right? Because uh, we know lots of people who, you know, well, us, right? If you're honest with yourself, you probably don't practice as much righteousness as you should. You're probably, you know, you could be more righteous. You're doing okay, but, I mean, as soon as you leave this place, Lisa and I, we know. This is, we, we talked about the truth here. We don't do it when we leave. We get out of here. We have fun. And so we know that this is so this, uh, John getting at, since he knows that Christians do make mistakes, that Christians aren't perfect. Well, if we think about the, the, what this language is, it's familial language, right? Got a picture here of a peanut. Maybe you've seen this if you've had kids. This, uh, by the way, is the peanut that is currently in the belly of um, our former youth pastor, uh, Ryan Gates' wife, Hannah. Hannah Gates. Yeah, she's pregnant, so that's super cool. They, uh, they, yeah, they, um, they moved up north, um, but I talked to them this week, and they are very excited. She's 17 weeks along, so this picture is a little bit outdated. But, uh, but yeah, there's the little Gates peanut. There it is. One of the fun things about, you know, parenting, and for, you know, Sierra, you don't know this because you don't have kids that we know about, um, so you don't know, but one of the fun things is to see, you wonder, like, how are they going to resemble me, you know? Like, what are they going to, and that's a fun thing when they're growing up. It's weird because a lot of times, well, I mean, a lot of you, a lot of your kids look exactly like you. I don't tend to look I don't think very much like my parents. Maybe like a mix. It's not super physical uh, connection. Um, but I resemble them in other ways. One thing I do share with uh, my, my dearly departed father is uh, hair. Lots of hairiness. Um, and so I think I have his nose. But most pronounced, I have his eyebrows. We call them Bennett brows. And I have his, uh, his nostril hair and his ear hair. And so uh, when, when I visit Stev... Maryland, slide, slide. There it is. Dude, if you, guys, just, I'm just saying, if you have a nose hair problem, you have to try this. It's phenomenal. 
Uh, one time uh, with the youth group, we did like a, a white elephant gift uh, for Christmas, and I had gone to Seb that morning, and so I, I kept the popsicle stick with all of my the wax in my nose, and I gave that as a, as a white elephant gift to a high schooler. It was awesome. It's not gross. It's cool. Um, yeah, so, so while you might not be able to maybe look at a picture of my dad and me, you can, I can tell you that we have that. But our resemblance goes much deeper than that. Right? And if you really want to see the way that I am like my father, it's, we have the same sense of humor, for example. Like, we could just make each other laugh all day long. Um, and uh, apparently I walk the way he walks, and I have a similar frame. Um, it's like I, apparently I walk in a way where it looks like I own everything. Which I, I don't see that, but okay. Um, we, uh, we share a, a really um, serious desire to be committed and loyal. Right? Um, and it's not something I can say. Uh, I'm not sure how that happens, but at some point along the way, um, I began to share his belief that loyalty and commitment is one of the highest virtues. And, and so I, I, it's very important for me to, to stay with, to stick with, things. Well, when John says uh, everyone who practices righteousness, he, what, what he's talking about, he's not saying that you're perfect. He's not saying that you're doing everything just exactly right. He's saying that there is a, there's a visible resemblance between you and your true father. Because you've been, you've been born from God, and so now there's a resemblance. Maybe it's a proclivity you have, something that you're interested in. Maybe you're interested in justice, Right? Or maybe you're interested in mercy. Or, or maybe it's a gift or a talent you have. Like, for example, maybe you're um, very joyful. You're a person that's, that is just irrepressible. And you have that, that same joy that God has in God's own life that God spills out onto us. Maybe you're uh, peaceful. Maybe you're a person of peace. Maybe uh, contentment. These are all family resemblances that Christians get. When you've been born from God, when you're truly God's child, the Holy Spirit comes and, and plants something in you that will make you look like your real father. That's the first thing here. No sheets. God's children bear a family resemblance to their heavenly father. And similar to me, really, really good at serving. Um, Marilyn, Marilyn up there, she, she hides from you. But everything that happens is all because she's always in the background serving, helping. She's imitating Jesus who washed the disciples' feet. Maybe uh, you have a gift for wisdom. That's kind of why I hope, I hope that, that, that seeking the truth and, and going after wisdom and trying to understand and comprehend, that's something that I hope um, I have a strong resemblance to the Father in. But this doesn't mean that everything you do is perfect. It doesn't mean that you're just A-OK, you're 100 It just means that because God has, is your father, there's something about you, maybe a lot of things about you, that look like him. But it's not always going to be like this. There's an end to this story. Right now, you're God's child, but look at what John says. Right now, we're God's children. And what we will be hasn't been revealed yet. We do know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he really is. 
This is probably referring uh, to, to Jesus. It's probably referring to his second coming when the Lord Jesus, resurrected from the dead, ascended to glory, comes back and, and makes things right in the world. That's something that's going to happen. might not happen tomorrow, or it might. It might be 2,000 years from now. But the truth is that Jesus isn't done with this world yet, and Jesus is coming back. Now, when, if, you're, uh, if you're one of those people that's like super into end times timelines, it's difficult to know if John's referring to when Jesus comes uh, to set earth right, or if it's when uh, Jesus is fully reveals the heavens and the earth. Honest people can disagree on that point. I tend to think it's when Jesus comes to make earth right. But whatever the case, when Jesus comes back and when he's fully revealed at his revelation, his, uh, his parousia is the Greek, when that happens, y'all are going to get changed. I don't know if, uh, like, like me, you've been um, paying a little bit of attention to the news this week. Um, there's been this, uh, we, we've been in Afghanistan for something like 20 years, and, and now we're, we're pulling out. And there's been some controversy about how it's being done, because um, apparently there's a lot of American citizens who are having a hard time getting to the airport to be evacuated. And the Taliban, uh, who we know are not friends of America, um, are taking over the country. And so there's a lot of concern about safety and, and issues like that. So there's a lot of finger pointing, like, could we have done this better, blah, blah, blah. My, uh, my all-time favorite war movie is uh, Black Hawk Down. It came out in 2001, uh, directed by Ridley Scott. And it tells the story of the 1993 um, incident in Mogadishu in Somalia where American forces were extracting a, uh, got hit a, uh, a rocket from the ground and span and then crashed. And at the time, and I think this is still the case, but it might not be, but at the time the rule was no man left behind, right? You never leave anyone behind. And so this guy, who's, he's crashed in a kind of away from where the action is. So immediately the American forces have to uh, go and, and try to rescue him. But that turns into a cataclysmic disaster because they don't have a whole lot of troops. They don't have a whole lot of weapons and armor. There's not any tanks. There's no air force dropping bombs. Um, and so, it, and they don't have enough troop, uh, like people. And so it turns into this super chaotic environment where uh, it's, uh, it, it lasts overnight. Ultimately, I think 10 Americans died. One uh, was dragged through the streets. Um, by the Somali militia before being tortured to death. And it was considered at the time one of the absolute most uh, disastrous foreign event, uh, interventions in American history. And uh, I like the movie artistically because it, it depicts a super chaotic uh, situation in a way that's easily understood. And you can follow the characters. You get to kind of know them as they're going through this absolutely unbelievable, terrifying um, event. One uh, just it came out not long after uh, September 11th. And what I learned from this movie is I learned we never, ever, 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 ever get involved in any, with our military or anything unless we go with overwhelming force. Right? The big problem here was that there weren't enough troops. There weren't enough, and so I watched this movie and, and it changed my opinion of what um, an intervention should look like. In the intervening 20 years, I've watched this movie probably over 100 times. I really do love it. Um, and what, what, what slowly changed, not changed, added, 
It added something to that. I, so I believed overwhelming force. And so when we invaded Iraq and all that, I was like, hoorah, because, you know, Colin Powell is going to make sure that we, if we break it, we buy it. And, and so I bought into all of that stuff. And I was like, as long as we have overwhelming force, it's good. And over the last 20 years, I've rewatched the movie, a scene that has um, changed me is a scene where they're talking to um, an African arms dealer, and he tells the general, the American general, and when I first saw that 20 years ago, I was like, no, that's not right. These people are starving. They need to be protected. That's what Americans do. But somewhere along the way, watching this movie over and over and being aware of what was going on in the world changed my opinion. I started to think differently about what we're doing when we intervene in uh, foreign entanglements. To the point that uh, now um, I personally, and you may, your mileage may vary, but I personally am, am glad that we're leaving Afghanistan. At the same time, I still have that first lesson I took where I'm like, can we please make sure the Americans are safe? I don't care what it takes. Maybe the people who've spent 20 years helping us. My point is, is that what we see changes us. What we see changes us a little bit. And this is intuitive, right? You know that um, if a child grows up in an environment where there's... If a child grows up in an environment that's loving and stable, it's much more likely that the child will be loving and stable because of what you see. It's not like the the child learns this by, you know, coming up with the right... The right, uh, you know, math equation. No, it's something that's just internalized because what we see changes us over time. What we do, what we hear, what we're surrounded by, what we're enmeshed in, it changes us. I was enmeshed in Black Hawk Down. And so for 20 years, it changed the way I think about the armed forces and violence. What John believes is he says there's something incredible about the coming of the Lord. When the Lord Jesus uh, returns in glory, just by looking at him, we are going to be transformed into his likeness, into his image. It'll be like a, a compression in a moment of, of every accretion of seeing beauty, of seeing goodness, of seeing truth. It'll be, all, it'll be everything that is the Godhead just before our eyes, overcoming us, overpowering us, and transforming us into who Jesus is. So that's uh, the second thing in your note sheets. What we see transforms us a little. Our eyes transform us a little. When we see Christ as he really is, we will be transformed completely. Which is a great thing, right? I mean, don't you long to be like Jesus? Ruh-roh. Wait a minute. Is this a good thing? Look at what John says. Listen, listen to him. Listen to him. The beginning right here. Hey, uh, continue being in union, so be close to Jesus. So that when he appears, you have confidence and are not ashamed in front of him at his arrival. Uh, that are not ashamed. It's passive, and um, that word can also be put to shame. 
So it might be, uh, and, and, and are not made to be ashamed, put to shame in front of him at his arrival. There seems to be a little bit of a threat. What does he say? Oh, you're going to be like him because you'll see him as he really is. And if you have this hope, you should purify yourself just as he is pure. Why? Why not just, you know, just do what you want? Why not just be, and then finally Jesus comes, you'd be like, okay, I'm ready to be changed now. Why not? Why shouldn't we live that way? Why, why, why shouldn't, what, John, what, why can't I just get as dirty in this world as I want? Knowing that the ultimate, you know, laundry detergent is going to come and get all of the stains out of me. I have a picture here of uh, me and Brad. <laughs> Back in the day. Notice the eyebrows. Very bushy. This is before I started waxing my eyebrows. So I don't do it. Steph does. Um, this is a picture of me and Brad in Japan, probably like 2,000 years. He lived there for three. I, did, I lived there for two. We we're uh, really great friends from high school, and uh, we both went to Japan at the same time. He went to uh, Shizuoka Prefecture, which is in the uh, little bit southeast of Tokyo, and I was in Gunma Prefecture, which is uh, just a little north of Tokyo in the belly button of Japan. But we would, uh, once a month at least, we would meet in Tokyo and hang out with some mutual friends, and we would sing karaoke, and we would have an awesome time, go get you know ramen or shabu-shabu or what have you. Now, there was a major difference, though, between us. When Brad entered the country, the very first six months that he was in, J- in Japan were the best six months of his life. He loved it. Immediately. He just thought it, it, was, it was great. For me, the first six months in country uh, featured probably some of the loneliest times of my life. And the reason for that is... Um, Brad uh, took four years of Japanese in college. His junior year, he spent um, a little over half of a year uh, at par- first in Hokkaido, that's the northern island, and then in Tokyo doing like a homestay with, uh, you know, six to eight months of which was actually in country, preparing and thinking about how, living in Japan. That was going to be his thing. He, he knew he wanted to go. He knew he loved Japanese culture. He wanted to check it out. And so he threw himself into his studies he went to Harvey Mudd. He for just dropped all the classes about coding and software and all that and went all in on becoming Japanese, turning Japanese. Uh, he, he's um, of Chinese descent, um, but American through and through. But he wanted to be Japanese, and so he prepared for it. When he entered the country, they could tell that he loved them. He communicated with them. He already had a few friends, and he expanded his friendship ne- networks. I went to Japan, and I knew, I knew how to say, my name is Tom. That's about all I could do. And man, it was awful. And uh, I was, I've never in my life felt so isolated. 
Now, eventually, Japan became awesome because eventually I learned the language. I, I started to understand some of the customs. And boy, it's so crazy. It's so different. Um, and starting and to, to try and recognize. So I was reading books about Japanese culture, and I was trying to do all these things to assimilate. So I was, over time, able to become the sort of person who thrived in Japan. I had a, a wonderful experience, and I'm super glad I did it. But man, man, those first six months were awful. I didn't know that tabetai means I want to eat. And so I would go to McDonald's, that's Japanese for McDonald's, and I'd be like, John seems to think that, that, that entering into glory has a similar dynamic. Right? He seems to think that when we're confronted by Jesus, we're going to be transformed into him, sort of like assimilating Japanese culture. But for some people, that's going to be awesome because they're already pretty much like Jesus. Some people are going to be, they're going to have love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace, kindness. What is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We should all know that verse. Awana. Plug for Awana. Send your kids to Awana so they can, so they can say that verse better than I can. Uh, the, and so there are some of you, I, I know that we have some saints here, and I super admire you. You are people of peace. You are people of gentleness. You are people of patience and kindness and, and self-control. You are those people. And so when you transfer into a world, into a, into a life and, a, and a, an eternity that is uh, 100% conformed to the image of God, you're going to be like, ah, oh, finally. And then that streak can get wiped away. And you're like, ah, this is what I've been waiting for my entire existence. I'm finally home. For the rest of us? It might be a little rough. Now, I don't want to speculate too much here. Um, I don't mind. When it, like, if I'm, if I'm writing, I don't mind speculating because I'm just throwing out ideas. But as, as, a, as, a, as a preacher and as a pastor, I, I really want to stick close to um, the scriptures, and I don't want to go beyond them, all right? And so this is the third, the third thing. I can say this with confidence. Uh, the more like Jesus we become now, the more joyful our transli- transition to life with God will be, okay? So the more like Jesus you are now, the more joyful, the more like, yes, you're going to feel when Jesus arrives, at the very least, we can say, if you decline to be like Jesus now, when that happens, you will probably be ashamed. Doesn't mean that you're not collected into glory. Doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means that when you're there, like, oh, man, I can in which maybe Jesus is a little bit disappointed. So that, that, I think we can stick with. John says that. John, John's very clear. Like, you want to have confidence at the day of arrival. You do not want to be put to shame. And that means purify yourself. Make yourself more and more like God now. But I also think it's possible it might be a painful process. I'm not going not gonna to endorse this, but it does seem to me that it's very, it's very possible that if we, you know, encounter the risen Lord and he's transforming us, that might be painful for some of us. You know, if, if, if we're being transformed into somebody who, who is so self-giving that he's willing to be tortured to death uh, for, for people who hate him, okay, that's a level of, of selflessness and self-giving that I, it might be uncomfortable for me to be changed into that. It might be 
downright, like, ripping part of me apart. Again, that's speculation. I don't want to, you know, don't want to go too far down that path. I just want to say, this is a deadly serious, very important thing. If you are a child of God, you are destined to be... Now, if we sum all this up, I have, I have a three, kind of three questions that we should be putting, that we should be thinking about. So, for the first one is this. If, um, if, if it's true that you're a child of God, in what ways do you already resemble your true father? What gifts, traits, strengths reflect God's nature? In fact, this might not be a bad thing uh, to do with your kids or with your spouse or with a close friend where you just at, where you affirm in them and say, you know, when I look at you, this is how I, I see the life of God in this way. I see you being this servant. I see you being this leader. I see you being this selfless person. I see you being gentle. I, see, I think it's valuable for us to, to affirm those things. That's real. You really are a child of God. You really do reflect his nature. At the same time, you know, what's your black hawk down, right? What, what is it that you're looking at, what's hearing, and what's transforming you? It's another question to think about. So, yes, you're God's child, you reflect his nature, but you are also being transformed by what you look at, what you immerse yourself in, uh, what you're listening to, the environment that you're a part of. What are you being transformed into? Big Ben over there is being transformed into a deep-sea fisherman. Do you know this? Ben, raise your hand. I So... The Malapards had us over a couple weeks ago, and apparently at some point this summer, Ben was invited to go up to a lab, would be interested in video games and having friends. Ben doesn't care. He only cares about catching fish. Very odd. Um, but he did have the opportunity to go catch these fish, and so he came back with so much fish uh, that his dad had to buy a new freezer just to fit. How many did you get, man? What? Dude, don't do that. Don't say a lot. Just what, about what? A couple hundred fish this guy caught. Jeez, I'd have been bored, bored after the third one. But thank God he brought this fish back, and I had the greatest coho salmon that the world has ever tasted. And, and Lisa's a great cook. She didn't have to do much to it because it's so fresh. So if Ben is sitting there and he's spending his life, he's focused on learning new ways to fish, watching the, the videos and seeing how people do it, and he, then he is transforming through that into a fisherman. What are you being transformed into? What are you looking at? What are you immersed in? And are you being transformed to be more like Jesus or less? And then last, the, the, big, the big one, the big question you've got to ask is, what is it about me that still needs to be purged? You know, what, what inclinations, what desires, what, what is it about me that, that is going to have to get ripped out? When Jesus comes back. Because, because wouldn't it be great to identify that now? Wouldn't it be awesome to know what that is today and to begin prayerfully asking God to lift that? It might be a sin that you just can't get rid of. It might be a, you're just prone to anger. It might just be that you, uh, you're never at peace. You're always wanting more. There's so many different ways. And part of it, it might be that you're not even aware of it. 
Now, on the ways that you resemble your true father, go ahead and talk to your spouse about that. I don't want to be responsible for any uh, fights. So do not ask your spouse what you need to be changed in order to be more like Jesus. Don't do that. Bad call. Instead, find somebody, uh, you know, like a trusted friend um, that, uh, you can, that you can take it from. Um, maybe even your kids. I'll tell you why you suck. I don't care. I have to know you, okay? If, you can't, if you're a visitor, fill out the connection card, uh, drop it in the thing. I'll call you this week, and I'll, well, I'll figure out who you are and tell you how you suck. That's, that's, that's my commitment to you. No, I'm kidding. But if I do know you well, I'd be more than happy to share some things I think you might consider working on. But don't ask that until you're ready to move out of the state, um, like everybody else, because I don't want to you know, make you too upset. Jokes aside, um, John is so invested in this notion that, that we are born of God. We're already a reflection of his nature in some way. And this life is an opportunity to be more and more that. It's an opportunity to be less and less the way we were before we became born of God. And if, if we as a community commit to that desire, that, that recognition that when we see him, we will be changed, we'll be like him. If we, if we commit to that and we recognize that, then, um, and last slide, Marilyn, we, we, could, we, we could welcome Jesus into our midst when he returns. When, when that light comes and, 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 and captures us, it, it'll be like the reunion we have desired after being abroad for our entire lives to finally be coming home, to be reunited with the one who, who gave us life. That, that could, be the, could be the defining moment of existence. And so if we have this hope, then we should purify ourselves as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for giving us a piece of your life. We thank you for the way that you've caused us in your spirit to reflect you, to be like you, because you created us and gave us birth. But God, we also confess that we're people who are in, 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 in flux and change, that the things we surround ourselves in, the things that we look at, they're changing us. God, I ask um, for all of us here that, that we'll be more and more engaged in what is good and true and beautiful, more surrounded, more invested in the things that are like you so that we can be transformed to be like you. And God, open our eyes. Um, open our eyes to the places that are still, that we've held back, that, that, that that don't reflect your nature, that, that don't look like the family of God. Identify those things, and God, give us a, a spirit, a desire to pray and to be released and to be changed and to be um, conformed to you. And God, may we as a congregation be so enthralled, so excited to welcome Jesus, so ready to be made like him when we see him as he really is.
In his name we pray. Amen.